Hi, and welcome to the Dip Chew Podcast. I am Dip. And I'm Chew. We have been friends for over a decade. And also served in the ministry together and apart for almost the entire duration of our friendship. We'd like to invite you on this journey of listening and learning as we host these conversations on what it means to follow Jesus. On this podcast, we'll talk to our peers and experts alike, listening and learning from them about walking out our faith as Christians. We'll explore the hard questions together while creating spaces for you, our listeners, to process these conversations. We're excited for this journey and we hope that you are too. I'm really excited to introduce this conversation. We recorded this actually in February. Yeah, I wish I had joined the podcast a little bit sooner. I was a bit late that day, so I only came in halfway through. But just even the second half of just hearing you guys talk, it was amazing. It just blew my mind away. Yeah, she has some really good insight that I'm excited for people to hear because it also caused us to reflect a little bit um, on where we've been coming from for the podcast and different things. So Sarah is from IFES or IFES. What is that? IFES is the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. In the US, it's known as InterVarsity. And in Malaysia, we call it Scripture Union Fellowship of Evangelical Students. So without wasting any more time, here is the conversation. Well, today I'm really excited to have Sarah Brule here on our podcast. She serves as the director of Revive Europe, as well as the evangelism training coordinator for IFES Europe. She has a business degree, an MDiv from Regent College. Sarah is married to Renee. They have planted a vibrant church in Rome and have two boys, Pietro and Matteo. So Sarah, I was at the missions conference that's hosted by InterVarsity Urbana in St. Louis in 2012. 80 years ago. That, yeah, <laughs> it's almost it's almost a decade, right? <laughs> yeah. So can you like tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, you're from Brazil. You know, how does a Brazilian end up in Rome planting churches? Yeah. Bit about myself, uh, married my best friend, Renee. <laughs> We've got to know each other uh, when we were studying business back in Brazil. Uh, and we have, uh, before I share a little bit about my story, we have two boys, which I'm crazy about. <laughs> uh, so one is uh, Pietro, he's turning 11 next month in Mateo. He's turning 10 this year and they are they are just on fire. I call them my two tornadoes. <laughs> um, and yeah, so uh, we gave them Italian names. Uh, Pietro was uh, two and a half months old when we moved here. And it was very meaningful for us to give him an Italian name because that was our way also of saying, you know, we are committed to this country. We want our kids to grow up here and have their lives. And the same with Matteo when he was born a year and a half later. So to answer your question, yeah, how does a Brazilian come to, to Italy? For me, it started as a young girl, actually, just going for uh, Christian camps a young girl mm. first time hearing about cross-cultural missions uh you know the maybe a classic um christian camp bonfire thing mm-hmm. uh, uh but but still it was genuine it was real for me so i made a decision i think i was 11 12 years old and then it, it all you know with ups and downs and challenges and things and and most of all, God's just gracious guiding through it all. Yeah, we, we're here and in May it's going to be 11 years that we're here. That is that is a long time to be somewhere. 
I mean, it doesn't seem long, but it is kind of long. Yeah, and it's funny that it felt like home when we, I mean, we didn't know anyone, but I think because we came with a mindset, like, let's really be rooted in this place, you know, mm-hmm. and, and create, uh, so we love this place. 11 years th- does seem long. It also feels in our heart, kind of only the beginning. <laughs> if that doesn't, you know, if obviously if God speaks to us to go somewhere else, we would leave everything and go uh, but if, if you know, he, he as long as he have us here, we love this country, we love this land. Yeah. Was there any culture shock when you moved? Like, are the cultures very different, Brazilian culture and Italian culture? Yeah, I think we've experienced some culture shock. As you, Marcus, you've lived, you know, in uh, Malaysia and the U.S. and things for sure. In, in married an American, right? Your, your mm-hmm. wife. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so culture shock, you probably very familiar. We did experience some. I think it helped that both Renee and I had lived in other countries before. So we came a little bit prepared. Uh, and we did experience some. But I think probably the biggest culture shock was mostly the Italian evangelical church and what we had experienced in the evangelical church back in Brazil and Canada. That was a bigger culture shock than we were expecting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because when I think of Brazil, I think of very Pentecostal, oh, very yeah, yeah. celebrative, <laughs> loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that true of your background? I was uh, raised, my parents are Christian uh, with a Baptist background. So I was raised a more, uh, uh, not super conservative, contemporary kind of, uh, but uh, just actually when we were in Canada in, in doing some theological studies, I've been exposed, nothing related to Brazil, but just in my own journey to more charismatic um, experience. So I would maybe call myself as a Baptist charismatic if there's such a thing. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so interesting. So your your experience with the charismatic church was not in Brazil. It was, you had to go somewhere really cold <laughs> to it's find. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. It's just, <laughs> just, it's just really funny how God works, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I guess a little get to know you kind of thing. What is like your perfect Italian day? <laughs> Describe it to me. Oh, I love that question. Yeah, I think it would start me first getting up whenever I open my eyes <laughs> and, and not, you know, like not super early on the day with, well, you know, being mother of two kids, you you wake up with them. So uh, like just a lazy, I, I'm thinking of a holiday day, you know, of, uh, of a lazy uh, wake up. I love uh, breakfast uh, and my favorite meal. So to have a large breakfast. Um, I've never led worship in my life with the instrument or anything, but I am a worshiper <laughs> at heart, you know. So uh, for me, it would just be a yeah time of worship that it feels into I feel fed and full, <laughs> you know. Then probably more summer than 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 winter. Rome is only one hour from the beach, so we get to go and and enjoy as a family, and then have time there to play with my boys. I I like going for runs, so maybe go for a run. Uh, eat an Italian amazing lunch. <laughs> I love Italian food even before coming to Italy and I haven't had enough of it. You know, we just love it here. <laughs> so eat some good lasagna, maybe gelato or something. Um, and just have a relaxed time, maybe in the evening, watch something fun with my husband, something, you know, very chill day. <laughs> that would be a relaxing day for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds, that sounds, re- especially the eating part, because I like eating. <laughs> I remember being in Rome and it was a mutual friend of ours, Josh Yeo's recommendation, but Da Carlone, is that the 
mm-hmm. carbonara oh, yeah. place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. I almost cried. It was the best carbonara <laughs> I've ever. And it was. I asked. I said specifically said, okay, one person, and he brought out this huge plate, and I was like, it's just me. He said, this is one person in Italy, and so I sat there for an. I ate for an hour because it was. I think three people could eat from that plate. Oh, I love it. Yes. You, I think you would have so much fun in an Italian wedding in the South. You just eat. Uh, I think the wedding of the supper slam would be Italian food. You know, that's Probably the, the Italian nonas will be cooking something in the kitchen. Yeah, so I'm so I'm so glad that um, we get to connect. You know, we're really looking to talk about some of the contemporary issues. I, I'm sure you face as well in your ministry with university students, right? But um, you know, this idea of post-Christian. Can you give me a quick description or definition of what what does post-Christian mm-hmm. mean, especially mm-hmm. in the European context? Maybe instead of giving kind of a more technical one, I, I, was, I might uh, give a sense of how, how it feels, you know. Uh, it was helpful as we were preparing to come to, to here to Italy, into Europe, we asked, you know, how, how is it to be on the ground? And a, a phrase that is stuck to us that the good news of the gospel here in Italy and in other places in Western Europe, it doesn't feel either good, mm. but especially not news, wow. you know. Maybe they feel they have been exposed to mm-hmm. some kind of Christianity or tradition or something. And it's a continent uh, at that time called a progregal continent, a continent that has experienced and in some ways rejected rejected it. So I think post-Christianity is, is finding the challenges of uh, um, sharing the gospel afresh and challenging even preconceptions of what it means to follow Jesus and what it is uh, to be Christian with people that maybe have been disillusioned by the church or by hypocrisy or or by saying that it didn't work when they tried or folks you know, in this and, and and so that that presents a real challenge as well I'm I'm really fascinated by <laughs> since you gave like it wasn't a technical definition right mm-hmm. like, what are some of the most common things you hear? people saying about Christianity in a post-Christian context? Yeah, I think uh, answering more in our in our background here in, in, in Italy. First, it was uh, one initial challenge that was bigger than we had imagined was because they wanted to understand, okay, you guys are Christians, but you're not Catholics in a way. So that was already confusing, right? As you can imagine, we're in Rome, et cetera. And even what some things we were surprised also of how it's very much unknown, uh, the evangelical church here. I think it's a little uh, less than, than 1%, but it is a context that others like Jehovah Witnesses or others are bigger than the evangelical church. So it becomes this, this maybe thought in the culture that if you're not Catholic, you may be one of the bags of like Jehovah Witnesses or evangelicals, or, but you're not, and it becomes more you know, sectish or, or a bit, a bit uh, even more skeptical of it. So in the first months, for example, when my husband, uh, when they asked, you know, what do you do for a living? And he would say, you know, I, uh, I'm a pastor. And the word pastor in Italian is pastore, which is the same word for shepherd, for sheep, you know. And some people will look puzzled at him. And we actually had three people ask, like, how can you be a pastore? in the middle of the city, like <laughs> literally, where are your sheep? Like they would think that he was, you know, a shepherd of sheep. And, and you he- smell too nice. 
probably. <laughs> so for us, that was surprising, just the, you know how unaware or may, and so we created this already um, skepticism or barrier of like um, or hesitation to hear more of like, uh, are you guys a sect or not? You know. <laughs> Yeah, that said, do feel in post-Christian Europe that the God is moving powerful ways as well. You know, even if he says that the prodigal, if this is a prodigal continent, the prodigal son got did get back to his father, you know, and was in great. So I just feel this call for 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 the continent to come back and see seeds of a bigger thing in um ever move of God as well. That that it will be we hope that it won't be the first country to be called uh uh, post-Christian only, but it may be the first continent to be called that got back to God too, you know? So you've mentioned evangelical a few times. Is that term understood differently in Europe than what's going on in the U.S. now with like evangelicalism as American evangelicalism as a loaded statement in itself? That's a big loaded question. <laughs> I, think, I think, yeah, I do think that the evangelical term uh, with the U.S. and um, sadly with the Trump era didn't help either. It's It's been, you know, ongoing discussion in the U.S. and this. I still feel that the historicness and what it represents of standing together, uh, uh, the things that unite us are bigger than the differences in the, the vision for, uh, you know, going together for mission, for um, encountering Jesus in a personal way and having Bible as our authority are are important things uh, in our naming ourselves. So it's still ongoing. I'll be curious to see in many years how, how this discussion goes. Yeah. So maybe if I can hear a little bit from you about your ministry. So you direct this conference called Revive Europe, right? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about Revive Europe? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So Revive Europe in a nutshell, uh, we'll call it more a movement than a conference because we had a, a first edition and it really felt the beginning of a birth or something that God is doing, but we gather over 3,000 students and graduates uh, from 68 nations across Europe uh, for the first time in uh, the end of December 2019 to December 2020. So you've experienced Urbana uh, in the U.S., you know, it would be maybe similar to Urbana in the sense of this calorated graduating of just that age group, young adults coming together in going through scripture together. Which is a lot of fun, I must say, when you have like thousands of people. Oh, it's powerful because not only thousands, but the when you are with people from 68 nations, it really does feel like a glimpse of heaven. Yes. You know, like you, you see how people from different nations love Jesus and worship together. There's something yes. really powerful about mm. that. One uh, difference, though, or maybe one of uniqueness for you, Revive, specifically we felt called to uh, pray, sow, and pursue revival in the student generation, you know, uh, which uh, obviously revival is something that nobody can manufacture or mm. plan, obviously, but it was very helpful for us an image as we asked um, King Keller uh, in, in some events leading up to Revive about, you know, the the role we play for Revival. And he gave an illustration that went back for Martin Lord Jones, uh, say, mentioning uh, Elijah in Mount Carmel when he was with the prophet saying that obviously when he built that altar and set the wood for for, for that altar, God is the only one that can send the fire. There's no question about it. He could never manufacture fire. But Elijah did have a role uh, putting up the wood for the altar. And in the same way, we feel that, you know, only God can breathe the move of God in the student generation and in Europe and revive Europe. That is the name. That is the name of the conference itself. But we do have a role just doing, do, be as faithful as we can to 
make a, a fertile soil for God to move, you know, pursuing him in, in prayer in uh, in repentance, both personally and corporately, and also be bold in our evangelism witness and praying that through it all, God, God, we use that to do something amazing. So we have a God of confidence that God is big enough to turn the tide for the gospel in Europe. And it brought together about 30 mission organizations. So IFES is, is the one leading this, but it brought together different mission organizations. So we're standing together in unity in this as well. But also encourage, you know, you see people from uh, like Montenegro, yeah. they are 250 evangelicals in Montenegro, the, the church there, they sent 25 people to revive, which is like we mm. were joking, 10% of the population. And then you get inspired to see, you know, the Montenegrins are coming and let's get the Italians and the Spanish, you know, so there's something communities. In the process, has there been any leading of the Holy Spirit to pursue reconciliation between nations? Has that kind of been a theme as well? Good, good question. Yes, I think it's something that we are still praying uh, in it uh, mm. because we had communion. The participants sat in different subregions, so it was you know Scandinavian, one area, Southern Europe, Central. Europe. You get you know the whole continent. You see it you know visibly the entire continent there in times of prayer for revival to one another, and in that place facilitate repentance and community, knowing that some people you know. Some people in the room, some countries in the room have been in war together. Uh, they're still, you know, and actually not like hundreds of years ago, their recent history. It was a powerful moment of community, but also seeing people stand together as Christians in there. Uh, so I can point to specific, you know, reconciliations there, but for sure, already knowing it, it doesn't become someone unknown. Oh, that country that we went to war with, you actually worship beside a brother and sister for that country and had a conversation. These are small seeds that I think that are healing as well. We were talking to someone uh, a couple days ago and I told him, I said, I know I remember being a teenager going to youth camps and youth conferences. And then one of the prayer points sometimes we would hear is, oh, there's a whole generation like the, and then they would say the age, you know, like 23 to 35, they're missing from the church. And I remember being 17 or 16 and being like, how can you walk away from Jesus? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. where's the fire and all of that? And then I hit that age range mm -hmm. and I'm like, it's so easy to, like, uh, you know, the, the, they call it the quarter life crisis, but yeah. like the questions and not feeling the, you know, to know where to go for the answers yeah. and all of that. Like, it's a real struggle. Maybe for even people who grew up in Christian homes and who have kind of just, you know, found that it's not really for them, whether it's what they believe now or actions of certain leaders and all of that. So we really want to be open and honest about some of the questions we've been hearing our friends ask, yeah. especially even ourselves, you know, even though we've gone to Bible school, we've done ministry for so long, um, we have very key questions that we think are related to um, the integrity and purity of, you know, the church. And we want to see the church be filled with integrity and purity. And so how do we follow Jesus, right? How do we be faithful followers of Jesus? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally relate with you. Even friends from teenage years back in Brazil, when we were like on fire, like we will be for Jesus forever kind of thing, you know, and then seeing slowly, I'm now 38 years old. So you get, I get to see, you know, life journey and you see that these are not just statistics, but that that age group of being student and young adults, people do question, you know, the big decisions are there. So I think it's, it's incredibly strategic to 
to yeah uh, have a way that they experience re- Jesus in a real way in that in that age group with their questions embracing their thinking and their their you know depth of thought so when it comes to like talking to university students about Jesus especially if some of them have some cultural identity that is steeped in catholicism yeah. right oh, yeah like what have you found to be effective or mm-hmm. or you know how do you have those conversations yeah yeah you know surprisingly uh, because I mean, uh, apologetics does have a, an important role in this continent as well, especially in the student age group. If 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 it's seen as your faith as being, uh, you know, less intelligent or not involved, uh, not asking the big questions of our time, it it is is this huge barrier for it. So it does have a role to to also be able to intellectually defend our faith. But it was surprising for us, but also, um, in a way, not so much as well. The role of community in exposing uh, Jesus to people, that is always real, you know. We've had the um, joy of in these last 11 years, uh, I don't have the precise number, I want to say 55, but but I think it was about 55 or 60, my husband will know better, people that have been, that we had the joy of being uh, seen baptized uh, over of people that have come to Jesus and and each one of them is you know their story friend that we journey with and just saw the grace of God working that that we celebrate each life uh but most of them uh, uh, the most common story in and I think out of the 55 uh, close to 50 were Italian so mostly Italian backgrounds but people uh, the most common story is people that maybe have been exposed uh to Christianity um as they were kids, you know, or growing up, their first communion as, as children, etc., and then in their teenage years or student years, just um, rejected it or not uh, followed anymore. But then finding Jesus afresh, reading the Bible afresh uh, in community. So I would not underestimate the, the simple role of, of of community of being loved, and then the person of Jesus. There's nothing. I mean, we don't have to strategize and go like Jesus is so real. Is it the best short course to evangelism? So to invite people, we do a lot of, we call it seekers Bible study, which is basically a Bible study that the majority of the participants are seekers. They're not, you know, they're in the journey. And we just go to old school, you know, looking at the stories of Jesus, you know, in a piece of paper and not in the Bible and yes, being as sensible as, as possible in their questions, but just letting Jesus speak for himself and just letting Jesus, you know, jump alive, uh, come alive in the story. There is so much power and we can tell you how much, um, how we have seen with our own eyes of Jesus coming alive and actually, you know, reaching out and people encountering Jesus and making decisions out of processes like this. Since you did bring up apologetics, it's like the arguments bring people through the door, right? right? But yes. you don't want to argue with friends all the time. No, no, no. Right? Yeah. So you need something to actually to, to kind of be that foundational uh, platform. Some years ago, my husband had a series of, uh, of debates in the public sphere. So first we invited the president of the Italian Atheist Association. And some months after we had with the Buddhist, the biggest Buddhist group here in Italy. And uh, Rene and, and the representative had a very 
you know, engaging and lively conversation and respectful and still making, you know, the differences clear. One of the Buddhist people in the community, she invited her friend just to hear more about the difference between Buddhism and Christianity. And he went, at the end, he told his friend, he's like, oh, th this is interesting, but I am kind of more curious actually from the Christianity side. And in the period of two or three months, he, you know, make a, made a decision to follow Christ. And he's one of our, uh, our church leaders today. Uh, I would say that in his journey, it's not only, you know, the intellectual and things but there's something attractive in the community when he's come and loved and embraced and by meals and hanging out with people and experiencing Jesus in a live way of how is how does it smell a community that is that is follows Jesus what is the you know the atmosphere in that it just carries so much power and backing to your message as well we have Japheth with us hello welcome hi hi good to see you Japheth hi Sarah it's so good to see you Recently, RZIM released the report that some of the stuff that has been uncovered about what happened during um, the last few, maybe decades of, of ministry of Ravi Zacharias. Like, um, is there any pushback in terms of apologetics? Like, do, have you seen any fallout or anything happen with, with people who might have been using that kind that material and, and now yeah. feel lost about it good question i've met him personally twice just interacting with uh he he spoke in, in two conferences but i didn't obviously didn't know uh much more than a, a speaker relationship and things but i just deeply respected his ministry and everything so it is kind of my goodness you know just that that grieving i think since the report the final report was just released um a friday three days ago i think at least for my sense for now in our community and friends around the world, this is this stage still of shock and grief and obviously grieving with the victims as well. I mean, it, it was a devastating report. So I think we're still processing it and it's too early to see follow yet. I don't know how we'll be in some months, but it's mostly processing everything still. You know, we talk about accountability, but Bonhoeffer has this thing about confession and he talks about how when we... When, when we confess our sins to God alone, it's almost like we're forgiving ourselves. But Jesus is present in the other, in the brother or the sister, that when we confess aloud to them, they become Jesus in that moment, that kind of transitive like effect um, that happens in community. It does not happen with just one person. That's powerful, Marcus. And I think... Uh even as you were saying, uh, how can we be vulnerable to God when we haven't been fully vulnerable to others, you know? And maybe even draws back to, you know, the whole Rabbi Zachariah uh, uh, thing. But I mean, uh, just in my own life, uh, there's a group of women, we're just eight, nine women, but we meet once a year and we have been meeting for 13 years now. And that for me, it's second family, like they know the very best and the very worst of me together. And I feel that in that group and they can ask, you know, they know the things that I struggle with and something And there's fair game of like, there are no questions that cannot be asked. And there's so much safety and beauty of journey together of people that can speak, you know, truth into your life and challenge. And it feels, it just feels that when you journey together in that level, as you are saying, they are, you know, with Jesus in me in that place. It feels that if it's just me and talking with Jesus about my stuff, there's something powerful about having people in your life that know everything and you can confess and you don't, you know, gloss it over and, and, and have that power and experience God also through them. Yeah, it's so liberating. You know, it's walking in that light. Japheth and I have, have known each other for over 10 years now. It's been easy for us to 
communicate with each other because we have that 10 year decade long understanding right but in that sense like he knows me and who i am and and i know him and who he is too right and so it's so important to build those covenant kindred relationships Yes. In our lives. Relationships, yeah. yes. I think like grieving is such a key part of human life. Um, yet I'm sure we have all been in circles of Christian community where um the grief was glossed over or we were told to have more faith or we were told to just trust the Lord. You know, I'm wondering what a tangible what it, do you have any tangible examples or maybe insight into how does a community and in your case a community of students walk through grief together how does that look like great question great question especially because your previous comment of you know trying to gloss over or just pass by grieving it's actually when we look through scripture i mean david is just so raw you know in his psalms he doesn't gloss over his feelings i think um, at times it might feel that, you know, we can come with God with all our stuff, our baggage, our, our you know, conflicted feelings that almost like he couldn't handle. But we see David that he he never held back <laughs> of what he, sometimes is like, David, watch your language, you know, as you read the Psalms, which is just too raw. But still, yeah, you know, that's the man that God called after his own heart, which for me gives this invitation, like, come as you are and bring your grief. That is the right place to process our grieving. Uh, it's, it's before God. You know, that is the place in, in believing. Even as I was reading um, uh, Hebrews 4 yesterday, just uh, Jesus as this high priest that as he was tempted in every way, he can relate and, uh, and understand uh, what we go through. Jesus has tasted death with his own, you know, his soul as was in web for it. So how amazing that uh, he's before the father and he understands the process of grief and death and betrayal and uh, opposition. And like he, we can come to Jesus real as yes, our God, but also our high priest and our friend in the Holy Spirit, our, our counselor. We have all of this in God and we can bring our full weight in our grieving and pain to him. Uh, so I think with the community, in terms of, uh, for your question, is just giving space to to be real, to vulnerability, and not having you know a Christianese language that is protects for actually express how how we we are thinking and, and, and feeling about these situations. Yeah, at times personally, and just in my you know prayer time with God, as you know, I, I mentioned before that I. I, worship is kind of a love language to me. But when I'm in that place, when I'm in the deeper place, I ask myself, like, what is really, what I'm really feeling in my soul? And what can I present before Jesus of this raw feeling that I'm in this phase or in this day right now and offer him that? And I think those are the places when we connect just heart to heart with God, that he's delighted to welcome us and just bring the warners, the, you know, uh, the not perfectness and the whole messiness of it all that's that's where real encounters uh, are birth out so last year the the student movement in spain uh they approached and, and said hey would you you know they have a national conference and they invited if i uh uh, would be willing to go and share. And I was, I'm excited to go there this year. And they say, why don't you do it in Spanish? You were saying about Spanish before. And my Spanish was never quite there. Like I can talk, but not give a talk. And I was like, you know, I'll just start taking some in Spanish classes. I'll take the challenge and try, do some grammar. And then uh, January this year, first week, I said, I'll just Google online, any online course, and then see if they can do conversation with an online teacher. 
that seriously, it was the first teacher I saw. It was, you know, eight euros an hour was the cheapest in the, the list. And so I'll start with this guy, you know, from Spain. And I, uh, I started uh, having once a, a, every Friday, a one hour conversation with him. And then, of course, you know, one of the first questions, what do you do for a living? And I share, you know, uh, that I work with uh, in my faith, etc. So every Friday we have this conversation. His name is Imanol. And I got excited. I'm like, oh, maybe God is, might be doing something here. And he mentions that his cousin uh, was is evangelical. And I'm like, oh, he has someone in his life and that he really respects his cousin. So that's awesome. So as the weeks go by, I write to people back in Spain and say, hey guys, would you, you know, please pray with me for this guy. We're talking every week. And he seems generally interested to talk more. And he, his uh, cousin is evangelical. When the organizing team got the email, one of the team, person in the team said, wait a minute, Imanol from Tenerife, it was the guy's cousin. <laughs> The guy in the organizing team, that was his cousin, which is like just the possibility of that happening are just incredibly small of, of online. So they got uh, so much uh, faith to see that God made a completely supernatural intervention. You know? And it, uh, so, you know, and this Friday we continue on the conversation, but it just made me this faith of like, we talk post-Christian Europe, but we have a God that, you know, literally leaves the line in line to go after the one. And I'm believing, you know, for Emano that in all of the connections and things that, you know, he connected the one person that completely is online out of this and, and he's going after this person. And, you know, uh, that both uh, the organizers seem cousin and myself are, are teaming up to share him the gospel. So just to, to increase not our confidence of the the background of what we can do, but really God's confidence of how big our God is, is work is, is mm-hmm. after people, after Europe, mm-hmm. after a move of God, uh, that I think won't go only in Europe, but in Jesus name, that it will hit our generation worldwide mm-hmm. one day. Yeah. And it's so amazing too, because it's like you said, like it's, it's not just confidence in us, it's confidence in God. Right. But the very fact that you were supposed to give a talk in Spanish, mm-hmm. right. It's not your strength. No, and how often exactly. he uses our weaknesses, right? Exactly. Brazilian Brazil, we we receive missionaries from you know uh, from Europe and from from North America, and with all of you know the mistakes and challenges, God was merciful, and I am grateful that my family was reached out of missionaries, and I can now, as a global church, you know, have this reciprocity that some people you know serve different regions of the world. The Brazilian church has been. Uh, I would say maybe in the last 20 uh, years, almost explosive. It's not an exaggeration to see just the growth. I remember as a little girl, um, you know, um, Protestants or evangelicals were very much minority, like not quite like it is in Italy now, but very much, you know, my friends would know. It's now, uh, I think the latest is about 25% of the population with with uh, the predictions to going over 40% of the population for, for a country like that. So it's just exploded. But not only uh, with the challenges as well, you know, uh, prosperity gospel, all of this, so like uh, challenges that, uh, that are real. But one of the things that I'm most excited, it's also the mission movements coming back coming out of Brazil. So Brazil sending missionaries uh, to um, everywhere, actually, you know, but not only um, uh, Africa, but also uh, here in Europe, North America, and other places of Asia. And to see, you know, a crying out for revival in the Brazilian church as well, which it will be, you know, I think in our times, if revival breaks out anywhere, 
in in the history before in 1904 when it broke up in Wales, it touched Korea in a hundred and almost 20 years ago. Can you imagine now in this global generation, the way that we are connected, wherever revival break out, this will be a global thing. So amen to revival breakout in Brazil or anywhere, you know. <laughs> and for listeners who are in the European continent, there's a Revive Europe conference coming up right this year. Yes, at the end of this year, so the very end, so in t- 10 months and a half, which we're really hoping that we'll be able to meet in person. And we have already, I mean, last time we gathered 3,000 students, we launched in a month, we're reaching the first 1,000 registers, uh, people coming. So I think it would be fire. So I, uh, we're aiming for three to 5,000 students coming together from December 28th to January 2nd, uh, Revive Europe 21, second edition, and just hungry for more and more. That's so good. Well, Sarah, I'm so grateful that we got to have a little conversation and, and just to hear um, your insight as well. I really value that. I think um, we really wanted someone who's not from our perspective uh, to come and share their own experience and journey and story as well. So we're I'm so glad that we got to do this with you. Yeah, such an honor, guys. Uh, it's wonderful to meet you guys. And I so believe what God is doing in Malaysia, the fire that you guys are carrying that will reach the nation. So thank you for all you're doing too. Okay, Sarah, well, have a wonderful day and greetings to your husband and, and your boys. And hopefully someday we'll be able to eat together in Rome. Absolutely. Eat Italian food. Awesome. The eternal city. <laughs> exactly. It has been such a joy and life-giving for me. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Talk to you Bye-bye. later. Yeah. Bye. I do think one thing that she said that actually I think is kind of changing my opinion or shaking me right now is what unites us is bigger than what separates us. Mm. You know, like Lecrae has written in his book about being divorced from American evangelicalism and, and, and so many people are coming out and being like, okay, like I'm no longer evangelical, but I'm just wondering, like there's something worth redeeming. There's something worth saving because yes, like you think about it as like a company that has been mismanaged very badly, right? But it's not so much that there's something wrong with the company. There's something wrong with the management of the company. And I just recall back our conversation with Tim about having more seats at the table. Yeah. Like what if, you know, the, the evangelical church can be reshaped to really reflect the diversity of, of faith and diversity of people, you know, in the world who call themselves evangelicals. It's not reflected, but what if it could? And I think that gives me so much hope because, yeah. you know, it's such a powerful thing to think about what unites us is really bigger than what separates us, what divides yeah. us. And, like what she said, like the, the power of coming together and sending people out for missions, right? Yeah. You know, and, and we'll talk about missions soon in this podcast uh, and, and maybe some of the trappings and pitfalls of short-term missions and, and paternalistic and, and colonial missions. But the beautiful part of missions is that the gospel has been effective. Mm-hmm. Um, even with all the baggage that we carry, the gospel is effective. I mean, you and I are, are proof that the gospel is effective. This is none of us that, you know, that, that made the regeneration or the change or the love for Jesus. Like that is not mm-hmm. engineered from within us, right? It's yeah. the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. And so for me, there's I f- I just, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a tinge of hope, which mm. maybe for a while I have not, but this conversation has been so enlightening and so refreshing. Um, That's so good. Yeah. 
And even just hearing from Sarah, I think that's that's even such a great example itself. Yeah. You know, of like the missions movement of how you know God moved her from Brazil all the way across you know to Rome mm-hmm. in Europe, you know, and doing what she's doing and just carrying, um, you know, that fire, you know, for what she did and just to bring it over there. Yeah. Um, I think that's just a very cool example. Yeah. Yeah, in a very real way, I think it it's, you know, it does draw the attention away from ourselves. I was I was speaking with a friend of ours recently, and and who was sharing with me about some of the challenges in depression that they're going through. Mm. Um, and previously, I would have been like, "You need to trust God," you know. Mm. So I told her, "I'm like, just go and do something that is outside of yourself." Like pick up a cookbook and cook through an entire year. You know, do something that takes the focus a little bit away from what you feel powerless to change and to like do something that you know you can, mm. you know, pick up. Like that that sense of agency, that's very powerful. Yeah. Right? True. And and I'm seeing that in terms of um, you know, when we live for something beyond ourselves it really takes that focus off of mm. what we're going through. Not, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't dismiss it, but it helps us, maybe even gives us space that we need space away and space to process and, and just to like even spend some time away from the problem to actually think about, you know, who we are, our, our identity, our gifts, you know, our presence, what we bring. And in a very like, as, as far away from a self-centered way that it can be, like it helps us see how God can work through us even in our times of being super down. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Dip Chew Podcast by Marcus Dip Silas and Japheth Chu. Our guest today was Sarah Bro. For more information on Sarah's work with Revive Europe, visit www.reviveeurope.org or follow them on Instagram at Revive Europe.